0: Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has a capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss, once and for all. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of my interview with Dr. Lisa Rankin, a board-certified gynecologist obstetrician, uh, an artist, best-selling author, the most famous book, Mind Over Medicine, who was first published in 2013. And then Updated in 2020, Dr. Lisa Rankin is a founder of Whole Health Medicine Institute for Physicians and Clinicians who are interested in combining Western medicine methods with less traditional healing and treatment methods. And I'm offering and inviting you now to the part two of the incredible interview. In the first one, we covered and we finished with the healing meditation. And we discuss the rest of the things with her in the second part. I truly hope you enjoy it. So it's interesting that the fibromyalgia part can be actually a part. I wasn't sure when I, during one of our retreats, we talked about illnesses or chronic diseases as something outer or as a part. And I really appreciate putting it into that context.
1: Well, I often, people often will work with the illness itself as a part, and then it usually shifts into a part that's using the illness. So for Mm. example, a few years ago in the Whole Health Medicine Institute, we were working with one of the doctors who was a young woman, a young OBGYN who had breast cancer, and she got treatment, conventional medical treatment for her breast cancer, and the breast cancer went away. And then just before she started working with us at the Whole Health Medicine Institute, she had a recurrence. And Dick was coming in to work with us for the Heal the Healer Retreat. And she volunteered to sort of be the demo so that Dick could show how he works with IFS with sick people. And so he started by working with the cancer part. Like, why are you back? You know, talking directly to the cancer. And the cancer was saying, I'm back because she throws... She throws herself under the bus. She never takes care of herself. She's always mm. focused on everybody else. She's over caretaking, always working with her patients, always not getting enough sleep, not eating well, not taking care of her own parts. And she was shocked. She was like, oh my God, I totally do that. And the cancer was saying, so, you know, the only, I finally came and I forced her to take care of herself. And then as soon as I went away, she went right back to throwing herself under the bus. And oh. she was like, oh my God. And so the cancer was like, so I'm back because this is the only way she's ever going to focus on herself. Like I have to stay because otherwise she's going to throw herself under the bus until she kills herself. And she was just in shock. This was not something she was consciously aware of at all. And so then Dick went in and worked with the part Mm -hmm. that forced her, like the throwing herself under the bus was a protector. And then he went to work with the exile that never got care when she was little, that never got to be the kid, that had to be like the parentified child taking care of everybody in the family by the time she was five. Mm. And so often, like if you you asked yourself, what would happen? What are you afraid would happen if you didn't do this job? Then often that's when the exile, that's, that's often when we'll get a clue towards the exile. And so in her case, the exile was like the whole family is going to fall apart and I, and it'll be all my fault. Like, it's my job to, I'm not worthy enough to be the kid. I don't get to be taken care of, you know? And so that part that felt like she was unlovable, worthless, helpless, hopeless, nobody was going to let her, nobody was going to take care of her. Like she wasn't lovable enough to get care. So then this protector came in to take care of everybody else. But that part got absolutely exiled, that little child that just wanted to receive care, that just wanted to be the baby and get love and get care. And so the cancer was like, see, I'm here. This is the only way you're going to let other people take care of you. So it's not always a part itself, but it's often, you know, the, the symptoms or the illness is, is related to a part. And it isn't always, I, I always like to say that you have to ask. Sometimes people have physical symptoms because they live next to a toxic waste dump or they mm. have two copies of a recessive gene and it has nothing to do with, you know, a trauma. Right. But we can almost always, we can almost always benefit from the healing work that we do do with IFS, even if it isn't, even if the illness isn't related to that.
0: So it can't ever hurt you is what I'm saying. Right. And I absolutely love that. And May, do you have a follow-up on like what happened to that woman? Oh, she's,
1: I actually, I wrote about her in my book. And so I, because the book is coming out April 5th, I just reached out to her to be like, oh, people are probably going to ask me about you. Like, how are you doing? And she's great. She's in remission again. She's working. She's actually started seeing an IFS therapist right after
0: Oh my gosh. That just gave me been,
1: chills. It's been years. It's been years now. And she's in remission. She's doing great. She takes much better care of herself. She's like loving and attending to all of her inner children and being like a great mom to her own kids and also to her inner mm. kids. And she's just so grateful for it. Like it was such an epiphany for her because she really had no idea. She just thought she was a really good doctor and mom and she hadn't even told her own children that she had cancer the first time. Like she literally didn't tell the other doctors in her practice. Like she kept the whole thing a secret.
0: I didn't even know you can.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The second time around, she told everybody, mommy's sick. You know, the doctor is sick. I have to take care of myself now. I'm going to need all of your help to support me through this. And it's just been a huge, huge shift for her. She's doing fantastic. I'm so happy for her.
0: That is incredible story, and it's you kind of alluded that it's, it's part of your book. So let's talk about that a little bit. I was privy to read some chapters as because I was part of your class. Can you? So you studied for seven or ten years for this book, or you did research for this ten, book? Ten
1: or, years. Ten because years. It started well. It's sort of the sequel to Mind Over Medicine. Right. When I started. I started researching Mind Over Medicine in like 2007, and then I published. Mind Over Medicine in 2013. But part of what I was studying for Mind Over Medicine, I was like, oh, wow, this doesn't fit in this book. Because Mind Over Medicine was all about everything that we can prove with science about what makes the body miracle-prone outside of conventional medicine or you know the other sort of traditional healthy behaviors like eating well or exercising or getting enough sleep or taking your vitamins or whatever. And so much of what I was finding in my research for Mind Over Medicine There was no science. Like, what do you do with these anecdotes of people who are healing their traumas and their cancer is going away without conventional medicine? Or, you know, what do you do with these people that are telling these stories of like, I went to Lourdes, this, you know, Catholic pilgrimage site, and I had this incurable illness and my doctors told me I would never get better and I came back cured. And they're like documenting, you know, provable medical cures, from people that go to lords like what the, what the hell is that or people that were going to these you know indigenous healers or shamans or energy healers or faith healers i was like what is that what are these what are these stories and it was you know it was really hard to peel some of these stories apart scientifically one of my friends jeffrey rediger did a really good job trying to trying to document medically Um, what was happening with these people, he called them health outliers. You know, there's thousands of case studies in the medical literature of what we call spontaneous remission. But none of these case studies written up by doctors asked the patients, like, what did you do? And so Jeff spent 17 years, he's a Harvard medical doctor on faculty at Harvard Medical School, and he went to seminary at Princeton and is the head of the psych hospital, McLean Hospital at Harvard and so you know very rigorous conventional medical doctor and so you know he was getting before and after medical records from people like proving okay they did have stage 4 pancreatic cancer they did have these incurable illnesses and then proving you know with documented medical evidence proof that it went away and then he followed them for decades cuz a lot of the a lot of the stories that are out there if you actually follow through on them, like they fall apart the minute you ask for proof. And even if you ask for proof and you get it, if you follow them up two years later, they're sick again. Mm. So like the majority of the like miracle stories don't last. But Jeff was like, he wanted to follow the people that like stayed cured.
0: And just to mention, this is his book, uh, Cured.
1: Cured. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I've, so I, he and I are doing really similar work. And so I didn't, I kind of relied on Jeff to do a lot of that, like really rigorous work, but he didn't go to all these places. Like I went to Peru. I went to work with Balinese healers. I, you know, he kind of did a lot of his just from Harvard. And I was actually really wanting to get on the ground and experience some of these different healing methods to be like, what? What's going on here? And Jeff didn't get into the trauma healing aspect really at all. I I wound up sort of hearing all these anecdotes that really sounded like people were doing trauma work. That it wasn't just kind of spiritual healing or energy healing, it was it was really getting into these core wounds and working with the nervous system and and rewiring the neural pathways that were created by trauma that were putting the nervous system in this chronic fight or flight, flight, stress response. And so I wound up spending 10 years, like really diving into this and also coming into a lot of the shadow of some of that. I was very naive and gullible going in like a kid, a kid in the miracle candy store. And I realized that just because somebody has healing power or spiritual power does not mean they're a good person or that they're ethical or that they're not, you know, raping their clients or their patients or like all kinds of
0: dark shadow. I forget his name. Was it the John? John
1: of God. Yeah. Yeah. In the, um, He's in jail for life for oh, he counts. Is.
0: Thank God.
1: Sexual assault. And I didn't know all of that. And I did not go to John of God, but Jeff did. And so there's a whole, there's multiple sections. And they're also on like how to keep yourself safe if you're dabbling in these areas. But I was trying to write a clinically relevant book that had a bunch of tools, including IFS.
0: No, I, I was curious whether you, I know you cannot tell us like what you found, but can you tell us yes or no, whether you found the Holy Grail?
1: <laughs> well, what I will tell, I will tell you that I did not find one method that will cure mm-hmm. everybody a hundred percent of the time and make us immortal. But I definitely found some practices that my, that I'm hoping that people can just add to their medical toolbox. Like the way I see it, we don't have to decide Either we only do conventional medical treatment or we reject conventional medical treatment and we only do, you know, functional medicine or, or diet or supplements, or we only do spiritual healing or trauma healing or energy healing. Like to me, they're all medicines. And if we can do our own healing work to be able to really tune into what I call your four whole health intelligences, your mental intelligence, somatic intelligence, emotional intelligence, and intuitive intelligence, then we can sort of weave these medicines together, like almost making our own little witch's brew of like, what is going to support me on my healing journey? And maybe when we did the meditation, maybe some of you got just like the one next step, like get enough sleep for Martina tonight. (laughs) But if we can do that like every day, If every day we can be like, okay, what's just my one next step today? And some of the tools in this book may be things people don't even, it's not even on their radar. Like IFS was not even on my radar as a medical doctor or even as a functional medicine doctor when I was practicing integrative medicine. Like that wasn't on my radar. That what? I could do this practice with people's parts to help heal their traumas and their physical symptoms might go away. Like their cancer might not recur. Like, really? That was one of the holy grails for sure. And that whole that whole idea that, well, now we'll talk about polyvagal theory. The whole idea, we knew, what like when I wrote Mind Over Medicine, the first edition, we knew that the body has natural self-healing mechanisms and that the nervous system has two main branches, sort of the sympathetic fight or flight stress response described by Dr. Cannon at Harvard, you know, long time ago and sort of the, that fight or flight. And then we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is, you know, what uh, Herbert Benson at Harvard was describing as like the relaxation response. And we knew that sort of the the self-healing mechanisms of the body only function when the body's in the relaxation response, the parasympathetic. But then Stephen Porges came out with polyvagal theory that said, well, it's not quite that simple that there's actually two states of the parasympathetic nervous system based on the vagus nerve, the ventral vagus and the dorsal vagus. And that the, the thing that we consider the relaxation response is actually the ventral vagus. And that's sort of the open-hearted place that we can go in meditation where we feel connected to source, we feel connected to our bodies, we feel connected to spirit, we feel connected to other people, like we're co-regulating, we're, you know, if you're with a really good doctor like Martina, then she's (laughs) sitting across for you and helping to calm your nervous system and helping you to feel like you're not alone and you're able to have sort of this this space of intimacy with yourself and your parts and intimacy with the divine, and intimacy with your doctor, and that that's a place where those self-healing mechanisms can turn on. But we now understand that there's another aspect of the vagus nerve that is called the dorsal vagus that is like the freeze response, which is the real severe threat. Like if the gazelle is running away from the tiger and the tiger is about to catch them, then the gazelle will drop like feigning death. And the gazelle will actually leave its body and completely dissociate and disembody. because who wants to be in your body if you're about to be eaten? And so a lot of people with very early trauma, especially in the first year of life, if that need for connection with the mother, for example, with the birth mother, which is something we only recently understood, like people who are in an incubator because they were born premature or they were given Mm -hmm. up for adoption or maybe they were born by a surrogate and given to a a gay male family or they were separated for some reason from their own mother because the mother died or the mother was sick or the mother was checked out and mentally ill or addicted or some other reason, then those people often have a, a tendency to chronically dissociate. They may not ever really even fully embody And that particular wound can make it so that any threat, any perceived threat, even just a thought can make somebody activate that dorsal vagus, which is actually even more dysregulating to the nervous system than the fight or flight sympathetic Mm. and can more commonly somaticize. So those people who didn't get that early connection Need met. This is based on neuroeffective relational model or NARM, are believed to be at much higher risk of things like fibromyalgia, other chronic pain disorders, things like ADHD. There's a whole I've written a whole blog post about it that I can send to you that lists
0: no, I would love that. Yeah. Content. Thank you for I don't think I this is the first time I understood it the way you explained. It. I did read about it, but this is the first time I really yeah. <laughs> understood it well. And do you do you think that this can be healed by deep trauma work also or?
1: I do. I do. And that there's, again, there's nobody in the trauma world completely agrees with each other. They're all like duking it out, trying to figure out whose method is best. And I don't think any of them are like the Holy Grail or that any of them work for everybody. But, you know, the general consensus is that the more sort of gentle somatic work works really well for those people. For when I say gentle somatic work, I went to work with one of these people who is an expert in treating that particular wound. People who didn't get the healthy, intimate connection with mother in the first year of life met. And it was so interesting because she goes to do a session with me. She puts me on a massage table and she comes and she puts like one hand over my right adrenal gland just real gently, real softly. And she puts on a timer for five minutes. And she said, I'm just going to put my hand here. This, this gland has to work really hard. We're just going to let it rest. Just let it, just let this adrenal gland just soften into my hand. Five minutes, just silence. And then the chime goes off and then she moves to the other side and puts her hand on my left adrenal gland. And says the same thing. This gland has been working really hard too. We're just going to let it. She's using this really gentle voice. She's got this really soft touch. And the chime goes off. And then she comes and she puts her hand, both hands on the back of my brainstem, the back of my head. Okay. And now we're just going to settle. Just let the brainstem rest for a moment. We're just going to let it. It's been working really hard. And she sets the chimes. Then she goes and puts her f- hands on the bottom of my feet, like these different spots for an hour. It's just five minutes. There's no what did do. About it. Did it there's do? no talking about trauma. there's no there's no discussion or whatever, right? So Someone wait Jesus did... and for me, for me, because I've done like a thousand healing sessions. For me, it was like just a great meditation. Like it was so relaxing and calming my nervous system felt really great. And I was working, I was doing this session while being observed by, A guy who has an ACE, an adverse childhood experience, ACE score of eight. So very high trauma burden. And he had that early connection wound not met. I did get that early connection need met. So I don't have that trauma. I have other traumas. And so this was the the therapy that had worked best for him. And so he was watching me and he was like, how was that? I was like, oh, that was so chill and easy. She's like, now, would you like me to watch me do the same thing to him? And I said, yes. So I watched his session. She did the exact same thing. And his whole body shook like he was having a seizure the whole time. Oh, wow. Like even that amount of intimacy and touch was so triggering to his nervous system because his nervous system perceives intimacy as a threat, goes into that dorsal vagal. And so even just that very, very gentle, like for me, that feels great that's not triggering to my nervous system. It just was like, I felt like I was in this ventral vagal relaxed place. And for him, it's like his body works so hard to tolerate even that gentle. So I had this huge epiphany at the end of this. I'm laughing my ass off while I'm watching this because here's this expert in developmental trauma, like cutting edge trauma therapist. And I was like, okay, how in the world is that different than energy healing? Yeah. And she's like, Because I'm not putting any energy in. I'm not taking any energy out. I'm not manipulating his field at all. I am just co-regulating with gentle touch to let his nervous system know it's safe. It's it's safe for just this hour. It's safe to be touched. It's safe to be with another person. It's safe to relax. And I was like, wow. (laughs) So again, I am not, I am, I've been studying trauma now for 10 years, but I am not trained as a, a psychologist. I don't have a PhD in therapy. I am sort of functioning as a trauma healer for doctors, but I'm still learning. And that was just a, a huge revelation
0: for me. So thank you for sharing that. Here's a million dollar question. How do humans choose? Which how, how do they find what is the best for them? I mean, yes, I want to help heal people. I want to help them to suffer less, but I, so obviously I need to get your book and read it in a paperback format, but how do people learn about all these things? How do people find out what is the best method or which one they should try next?
1: I don't know anybody who has answered that question. That is literally what I am. I've been working with like focus groups of therapists who are cross-trained in multiple different types of trauma healing methods to try to figure out how to triage that. Like how do we, how would we possibly give people an intake form to figure out where is the best place to start? Like for me, IFS was a great place to start, but I know people who have tried IFS and it's too fast, it's too much. It's dysregulating for them. Mm. And they need something way more gentle like that guy did. IFS was too much for them. So mm. I guess as a, I mean, the first I would say trial and error, right? Mm. Like if you're, if you're doing a healing session and you can't get off the, the bed for three hours after, like I was able to get up and go for a run, you know? And he was like, he spent the next hour sort of like, you know, processing that session. And for me, uh-huh. that was like easy, no problem. Uh-huh. And for somebody else, it's like the meditation that I just did with you all might be like dysregulating for some people, right? Where they're like, ah, I made contact with my exile and I'm, I'm crying for three hours afterwards and that's too much. So titrating and part of the Peter Levine's work around somatic experiencing is about titrating, like going as fast as we can go, but not too fast. Like finding that, okay, go here. And how does that feel? Okay, that feels okay. And if we push further, what about that? Nope, that's too far. Okay, then let's move back. So, you know, maybe some people, all they can tolerate is just a really soft hand and a soft voice on their adrenal gland, and that's enough. And other Mm -hmm. people are like, well, I want the whole massage, or I actually want to talk while somebody's doing that i want to talk about what images come up for me when i'm being touched oh i'm rem- i'm being reminded of you know my mother beating the crap out of me okay well let's talk about that right so the yes. healing work that works well should not prevent you from being able to get through the rest of your day but it it also isn't shouldn't just be a spiritual bypass right like you don't just want to get a transfusion of life force, and then not ever get to the deeper work. So I think of it sort of like when I'm doing Healing with the Muse, for example, we do a survey to t- kind of check how resourced are people today on a scale of zero to 10. If zero is, I am absolutely depleted. I d- I could barely even get out of bed to make it to this session And 10 is like, I feel so great. You can throw anything at me. I can do my hardest, deepest trauma healing work. Just kind of knowing where you are at any given moment. Like people with fibromyalgia might almost never feel like they're above a three. And so something like energy healing might actually be great for that. That might be a good place to start just to kind of bolus people with, like you're getting a a couple bags of red blood cells if you're anemic. Like tank Uh you up a little bit and make you feel better. But if you don't ever get to like, why am I leaking life force to begin with? Why did I get so anemic? Then you're going to be chronically dependent on the next transfusion. So I feel like it's sort of both. It's like Uh transfuse people so they feel better, but then shore up the leaks, find out why is their bone marrow not making blood cells or where are they bleeding from? And that for me is the trauma healing work. So that's kind of what my book is about, how to, how to know when to, when and how to get a transfusion and something that you can do yourself and when to, when are the self-help processes like IFS, something that you're maybe more resilient, you can tolerate doing that and finding, finding a balance and based on your symptoms, like what's working.
0: Where can people, I know that your book is on Amazon, where can they, they, it's in pre-order stage, correct? I pre-ordered it back in October. (laughs) Can't wait for my book. Oh,
1: well, you can get it anywhere. There's a website, thesacredmedicinebook.com that has all the links. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And you offer, I think there is, is there a workshop still planned for?
1: Yeah. If anybody pre-orders before April 5th, I'm not sure when this is coming out, we're doing a a sacred medicine pilgrimage, like a group healing two-hour session with me and Dick Schwartz, the founder of IFS, and Donna Eden, who is an energy healer and Shiloh Sophia, who's the founder of Intentional Creativity. And we're going to be sort of weaving together a group healing for anyone who kind of wants wants to get transfused and plug up a
0: few leaks. This will be on Zoom, correct? On Zoom, yep. Yes, I I did sign up for that. Yeah, and we have some other
1: bonuses like some interactive experiential stuff that people can work with the, uh, the paradoxes of healing and people can read the introduction before it comes out. So if anybody signs up today, you can get, you can get that part right away.
0: No, right. Yeah. Everybody needs to order Lisa's book so that you can get the bonuses You can and you can get access to the workshop and just, I mean, so that you can get it. When does it come out? Is it April 5th or? April
1: 5th. Yeah. So the, okay. how to, how to qualify for the pre-orders, you just go to the sacredmedicinebook.com and all the instructions are there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm also on Facebook and my regular website is lissarankin.com, L-I-S-S-A-R-A-N-K-I-N. Dot com. And I also just want to let people know about my nonprofit, which is healitlast.org. We haven't gotten started yet, but if anybody wants to get on the mailing list, we're trying to create sort of similar to 12-step circles of group healing for anybody who identifies as being in recovery from illness, injury, or trauma, and maybe can't afford to hire an IFS therapist or can't afford to come and do... I'm about to do a sacred medicine workshop at Esalen this weekend, and but not everybody can afford to to do some of these practices that are kind of more of a luxury good. So we're trying to make sure that we address the health equity issues and my social justice parts really care about making sure that this kind of work is available for anybody who's up for it.
0: And this is healatlast.org. That, that, oh, dot org, not healatlast.org. Um, I'm glad so I you can get on the mailing list. Okay. that is yeah. I, I admire you, Lisa. You are an amazing human being you're like an icon one end of one because i don't know anyone else who does work you do and i know that i'm biased and i'm a big admirer and i love that you are doing work for those who who really do not have resources i i mean i think all of us should aspire to do something like that at some point. And I, I just, I'm such a fan. I'm a huge admirer. And I hope I was going to ask what is next for you, if you can. So I guess that's part of the efforts to heal at last.
1: That's where I'm putting my focus right now. I'm working on a um, group leader training manual so we can train some cutting edge trauma therapists to be our first set of group leaders. So we can start our first set of groups.
0: And how we, how those of us who are interested might find out about that.
1: Just get on the mailing list at healitlast.org or, and and at my regular website, I'll be announcing it there also. Okay.
0: Thank you so much for your time, for your generosity, for your expertise and the meditation, the healing meditation. It was wonderful.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I just send healing blessings and, you know, the deepest love to anybody who has been listening. Thank you
0: so much, Lisa. If you like this episode, please share with someone who can benefit from it too. For questions and comments, you can find me on Facebook under Martina Lenartova. That is M-A-R-T-I-N-A L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A or on my website at www.martinazingenbeinmdcoaching.com, and that is www.martinazinginbindmdcoaching.com g-e-n-b-e-i-n com, And lastly, as always, I appreciate a lovely five-star review or feedback from you at any time.